0: We are in route to the facility with a 24-year-old male fell from the roof of the two-story building. We got
1: a party one job. involved in a motor vehicle
0: accident. 65-year-old male complaining of chest pain. 22-year-old
1: male, multiple GSWs to the abdomen. He's circling the drain. I'm Tanya Mantooth, and welcome to the Into the Unknown podcast. All right, welcome to the Into the Unknown podcast. I'm joined here today with Randy Mantuth, star of emergency and executive producer, of the documentary Into the Unknown. Into the Unknown is our documentary currently in production that highlights what paramedics are facing and dealing with today. I'm Tanya Mantuth. While I'm the CEO of the San Diego International Film Festival, I'm here today as the producer of Into the Unknown. And with me today are my producer partners, Steve Martin. Assistant Fire Chief, L.A. County, retired, and Dr. Baxter Lorman, professor of emergency medicine of the David Geffen School of Music, music, medicine. Yeah,
2: do you, you don't play an instrument. Not for a while have I played an instrument. Okay, so in fact, right. I really can't play an instrument. So that's have why you, you went into medicine.
1: You yeah. started in music, and you're like, "That's not going to work for me." It was
0: my flip. Yeah. Okay, so school of I medicine. About the oboe. I thought she played the oboe. No, that's (laughs) the worst. (laughs) Right up there with the accordion.
1: Okay, Okay, School of Medicine at UCLA, and we've come together in Santa Barbara. We're here for the annual fiesta. We always spend the holidays together. La fiesta! And here's how we're going to work. So anyway, welcome everybody.
3: Welcome. Uh, Thank you for being here. And the uh, tuba is my favorite instrument.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So obviously we're here. We've been working on Into the Unknown probably since, what, 2019. That's when we started this project. Wow.
0: Yeah,
1: And it's really incredible. But why was it important for you, Randy, to tell this story? And I know that's a passion for you and Kevin. So talk a little bit about that.
3: Well, you know, for, for, for well over 20 years, 30 years almost now, I've always had this this desire and this this goal of making a um, a documentary about paramedics uh, and what they go through. And a lot, a lot of people don't don't know what a paramedic does. They they think they're ambulance drivers or they think they're just EMTs, and they don't really understand what a paramedic is. And my whole goal was it, it, ostensibly was just to be able to tell the public uh, or show the public in some way. What the real fuel paramedic uh, does in the field. Well, I didn't want it to be about emergency. I did not want it to be about me or Kevin. I uh, just wanted to uh, tell the public exactly what it is uh, that that we want to that we not just wanted to survive we wanted to thrive in our ems system
1: well and i know we talked about this before but when emergencies started there were actually very few only a handful of paramedics actually in the country is that there, right it,
3: there were 13 if if i've got if i've got that number correct and i'd look over at Bax and steve to find out but at that time when we first started in 1971 or or we actually started shooting in 72 but in 71 there were 13 paramedics in all of all of California and they were
2: all in LA county do i have that correct Steve? Yeah, I, I think i think um i think there were about 6 cities in the united states that had paramedics mm-hmm. and and then that and and Los Angeles had a group was the first really in the state of California, but we had uh, Seattle, we had Miami, we had Columbus, Columbus Ohio, right. and and those uh, Pittsburgh was another one of those early mm. early areas. But yeah, very few of the country was actually had paramedics in 1972 yeah. when you started. Yeah, not widely known. In fact, when I
3: when I first uh, was told that I'd be playing L.A. County firefighter paramedic Johnny Gage, my first question was. What the hell is a paramedic? I didn't know what it was and never heard of it before. and uh, But I quickly found out. Um, and it has just revolutionized um, emergency medicine as we all know it today. It totally revolutionized it. Re- revolutionized it. And uh, to this day, uh, it has now bloomed not just statewide or countrywide. It has bloomed worldwide.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about how did it actually come about? Like why? Why did they think that this was a, an issue that needed to be able to unfold? And who brought that to the forefront to even get those handful of cities to take this
2: on? Like where did it spawn?: Well, yeah. it really star- started in, in Belfast, Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, by a, a doctor by the name of Dr. Frank Pantridge. And he uh, wrote a paper um, and some of the and then came to present the paper in the United States. A group of physicians that were really not, emergency medicine hadn't really even been developed then. It was really a group of cardiologists, and then Gene Nagel, who was an anesthetist in in Florida, that came and listened to him talk, and he was talking about in Belfast how being able to do advanced life support procedures, some of the procedures that were done in hospitals could be done in the field. The difference that they did in Belfast is that they had so many physicians that their ambulances were manned by physicians. Um, we didn't have that amount of physicians uh, in the United States. So these physicians were looking at another model that they could be able to use that could be geographically present around the country. And firefighters were what they all came up with was, was their plan to be able to start some of the first. And it wasn't only fire departments. There were also ambulance companies. Companies and private volunteer services around the country as well that were strategically located. So that was the plan that that these group of physicians that were in these major cities. It was in Los Angeles. It was uh, Dr. Criley and Dr. Graff, and then up in Seattle it was uh, Leonard Cobb, Leonard Cobb. And, and it was Gene Nagel, in, mm-hmm. in uh, down in Florida, and you had Dr. Saffer that was in Pittsburgh. That all kind of started uh, this this revolution um, that was even before the show Emergency uh, had happened. Ron Stewart.
0: Stewart. And so
1: was it collective? Like they, they said, okay, what cities are going to take this on? Or was everybody kind of independent and decided to do it?
0: Yeah. Again, it wasn't, it was widely embraced from the get go. So it was always a, um, private industry versus the fire base, like you said, and that's where, by the time it came to the time for Randy talks about in 1971 and LA County, um, uh, took that on with our then, uh, supervisor, um, that that it was it was like a kind of a show and tell. Some departments had medical doctors attached to them, and so they brought it in and said, "This is a thing that we think could work and should work." But not everybody was receptive of that. No, so, it became very political yeah, at that point. Yeah, that, and there's a lot of reasons behind the scenes of, of things like that that happen with that, because there's monies involved, obviously, when you're paying you know, private companies and whether Firebase can do it. You're already paying your firefighters, right? Right. They're already in the station. They're already in the city, like Baxter says. So you have this built-in workforce that is strategically located. Why Why would it work for there? Because before then, a lot of these ambulance companies, weren't they using the mortuary uh you know setups and, and using the uh, the mortuary vehicles to take people to the hospital, and then they were just basically just dumping off you know people at the hospital, no matter, no matter what their condition.
3: And was. the argument that, that was constant, <laughs> and I mean constant, uh, were coming from doctors who didn't really trust the system that was being developed, nurses who didn't really trust the system, mm-hmm. and uh, so that argument, their their argument was, wait a minute, you're going to have firefighters starting IVs and and uh, and so that was kind of frowned upon. So so there was a bit of a, you know, not a clash, but there was differing ideas of Tension. who could be a paramedic. Tension, right? Mm-hmm. Who could be a paramedic? And then once the firefighters got out there, they went, well, wait a minute. These guys are, are totally trainable, are totally trainable, and um, uh, they're adaptable, uh, uh, and they're motivated. That's what they really locked into was the motivation of what makes mm-hmm. a paramedic. Because a lot of people are firefighters; they don't want to be paramedics. Mm-hmm. But a lot of paramedics, they're they're born to be paramedics. That's who they are.
1: Well, well and, and let's talk about that. So, how did that transition from it was was it Senator Robert Senator Robert Senator was he the one who felt like this was a story to be told? Like, how did that story evolve, and how? Because I know Jack Webb obviously was the executive producer, but Who thought this story was important?
3: It was, you nailed it right on the head, Tanya. It was Bob Senator who went down, he was looking, Jack sent Bob Senator down to the hospital, said- Now now Bob was? Bob was the executive producer and creator of the show. Got it. And and Jack Webb was the owner of the show. And so Jack said he only saw a few more years if ever, uh, or if that long, uh, for Adam 12. He didn't want to be caught without a show. So he said, I want to do a hospital show. So go down to the hospital and down to Harbor General, which has turned out to be Rampart and said, see what you can come up with. Well, Bob got into the ER room and that's where all the action was. And he saw these firefighters coming in with all these victims. And at that time they were firemen, Uh, but he saw these firemen coming in with, with victims and, and, and patients. And he said, well, what's that? And they said, it's our new program. It's a paramedic program. And Bob said, That's our show, and that's how they came about.
2: I think what a lot of people don't realize is the evolution of paramedics was almost the same time as the evolution of emergency medicine. Yeah, in, yeah. in in emergency departments were not were not manned by emergency specialists. They were you know people that were primary care physicians. They would have been uh, pediatricians in the ER in the emergency department. So the the evolution uh, of the early seventies of of paramedics was also the evolution of emergency medicine. So was it was at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. when so when Bob Senator was 9-1. going to Harbor General, he was seeing the evolution of emergency departments with emergency specialists at the same time he was seeing Mm -hmm. who are these people that are firefighters that are coming in that are paramedics Mm
1: -hmm. so he was kind of a visionary
2: he he was he he was and 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 nobody gets him credit was
1: that a big chance that he took
3: yeah, because if it didn't succeed, he's out of there. Yeah. You know. Well,
1: and if it didn't succeed, do you think that the industry would be what it is today?
0: I don't personally. Mm, a, there's a good chance <laughs> it was the flagship for. It wouldn't it was, look like but, it is today. But the one question that you asked about the firefighters, as the show really uh, exposed everyone to, was: it's one thing to have somebody in their home and, and perhaps have a heart attack or have an accident somewhere, but a lot of people have to be rescued at their scene of whatever accident may have happened. So just sending someone out there to pick somebody up, you know, didn't work anymore. That's why it worked out, which is what made the show so popular. That Johnny and Roy could get out there, they could get on the scene of the chemical plant that's on fire and they're trapped up here. And now the fire department can use all their tools, all their equipment, their toys, to get to the person, and then the paramedics can get there and administer aid. Because at the beginning, even though there was one thing we didn't talk about, there was pushback from the folks in the fire department. They, a lot of them, didn't want anything to do with these paramedics in the fire station. I used to call them nurses. They were kept separate. I mean, there was a lot of issues in the early days bringing these these, uh, uh, paramedics in because they didn't have to be EMTs back in the day either. So they didn't really do a lot of medical. College. So was
1: that before the show or was that even during the show?
0: <clears throat> that was before and during. Well, because that's, that's the time it Cause, evolved Cause it because evolved. it was
2: evolving. right? Yeah. So the, right. the academic in me is going to tell you because I love about numbers. And I've, I, I've talked to Randy about this before. And and that was in 1972. We already said there were like 12 cities in the nation that were that had advanced life support paramedics at the time. But by the by the run of the show, nineteen seventy nine, Randy is.
3: But but yeah.
2: So at about nineteen seventy nine, about eighty five percent of the country was covered by Who's paramedics. Now covered, right. Was now covered by paramedics. So, so yeah, people like like my mentor and Randy, he he actually worked so, on so the show. So
1: talk About that span, I mean, like that short period of time Exploded. to basically start and evolve. An industry. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I think that Has tells you the been... power. That tells you the power of, emer- uh, uh, of, television. of television. And and we have some friends at, that, at you, that time. At that time, it was and and it's and it's been shown before. The show uh, uh, ER, the show ER changed in in emergency medicine the amount of people that went medical school that actually wanted to become emergency physicians. Right after the second year, everybody wanted to be a George Clooney or something in and become an emergency physician, kind of so, like CSI. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Everybody went into the, forensic medicine. The the amount of people that went into uh, EMS because of the television show Emergency, and uh, and went into emergency medicine, um, and we also this doesn't count for all the people that were paramedics that then went on to become physicians. That's a whole evolution of a lot of group of people too. Wow. That, that they go from uh, being an EMT to being a uh, to being a paramedic, to mm-hmm. then go on to be an emergency physician. So that's amazing. So obviously you, for example, because well, you were, you, know, you started I, with with, I, with I, the I fire started out, department. I, start, I started out in a private ambulance working on an ambulance. Were you a and,
1: lifeguard? You started off as a lifeguard. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So and, and, and then you became
3: a firefighter, so then you it, became just, a paramedic, then you became a doctor, doctor right. and then yeah. you became this. Incredible crudge mudgeon uh, uh, that we all know and love. And we have
1: to call him Dr. Baxter Lorman. Like, we can't even call him by by himself because it's just Dr. Lorman. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Dr. Dinner's ready. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Thank Thank you, Queen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This Into the Unknown podcast is brought to you by the Public Safety Group, a Jones and Bartlett learning brand. Public Safety Group has become the world's most innovative and trusted source for educational materials and certification solutions for emergency medical services, fire, and rescue. To learn more, go to psglearning.com. Okay, so let's circle back. So I know this is important for you and Kevin to tell this story. So, okay, talk about the point in which you said, okay, I want to put a team together. Why was it important? And okay. then How did we all get
3: roped into this? The, my goal was always uh, and and, and there's t- sometimes that I kind of had to pull myself back. but my goal was to put t- together the best team I knew how to, the best team I knew how to and uh, uh and so my first thought went to you, Tanya, uh, not just because you're my sister, but because I have so much respect for what you've done. you you're <laughs> not just the president and CEO of an international film festival in San Diego, you produced other things that I watched. And I went, that's my sister? That's my little sister? And I was, like, really impressed with with your work. And uh, so I said, you know, I can't think of anybody else. That, and y- you and I talk in shorthand. You know, we've known one another all our lives. And so— All
1: my life. And, yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> close to mine, too.
3: And I'm not that much older. Well, yeah, I guess. But, but anyway, I—, I uh, uh, and then once I had you on board, I said, there's two people that should be involved in this. And that would be Steve Martin and, and Baxter Larman. We asked them and both of them were very reluctant because the amount of work. You're, I know that sooner or later you're going to say, what surprised you most about the film? The amount of work that it took to
1: but do actually, this film. I think when Steve and Bax said yes, they were saying yes to being Technical yeah. advisors. Yeah. Which pretty time. much was like part time. AKA you got to sit on set and yeah. uh yeah, have, call, have donuts and call, coffee. Call us when you need us, okay. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll yeah. be on the side. Yeah.
0: Well we're ready anytime you want.
1: But but what was it about the two of them and their backgrounds that you felt was important? Because first of all, you the three of you have been friends for decades. Right. Mm-hmm. For decades. Right. You've known each other a long, long time. So what was it about each of them that you felt was so critical to being involved in film?
3: Well, when it comes to fire, I don't know anybody more knowledgeable and articulate in his explanation of certain things in fire. And when it comes to uh, paramedics and when it comes to the medicine side, again, I don't know anybody that is better than, than Baxter Larman. He explains things for dumb people like me. And he makes it so simple that you fully understand it. And he's a motivator. He motivates people. And so uh, I mentioned them to you. You met them, and now all of a sudden they're your brothers, and I've been kicked out the back door.
0: Yeah, but- <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> well,
1: actually, no. So, I've known you guys for a long time, yeah. very long time. I knew your background was in fire, and it was medical. But how I really see you guys is, you guys make the best craft cocktails. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: and at the holidays,
0: you have to be good at something. If,
1: if I cook. You guys are the first one to clear the dishes. Thank you. Yes. And that's how I think of you guys. So then suddenly we became producer partners because you then were not technical advisors. You actually moved into being producers. We got elevated. You got elevated.
0: Based on time, (laughs) how much time we spent. It started out, you know, it was one call a month, then it was one call a week, and then it was one call a day, and now it's one call an hour.
3: For about four or five years there, I didn't know what they looked like because all I saw was their backs as they're washing dishes. And I thought, I love these guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah, dog walkers. So,
1: all right. So talk about that journey coming from your background. So talk a little bit about, okay, so Assistant Fire Chief, L.A. County, how many years? What was that experience? You decide time to retire and then, but talk about your time in the fire.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I could say, like, most 90% of the people that are my age and have done my profession for 36 to 40 years, that they all watched uh, Emergency as, you know, young men and women. And that's why they got into this. And he's heard that his whole life. I did watch Emergency. I did enjoy the show. and um, But I don't remember it being my exact inspiration to do this. You know, I mean, it was, everybody has different reasons why they do this. I went to the military and became a firefighter there. But when I was able to um, work my way into the Los Angeles County Fire Department, of course, then there were the roots of emergency was there. And it was there that I met probably 20, 25 years ago, I met Randy at an, at an event that we did, a project we were involved in. So um, again, I was a paramedic myself. So I knew you know from that side of it. And then I've watched the evolution from my day and age of when I became you know, in the early 80s of uh, becoming a firefighter on a department that's still through the next 30 years, uh, goes through this EMS or the uh, fire-based paramedic programs. So I've watched these, you know, across the country. In fact, years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I used to travel with Randy when we'd go do events in different parts of the country where he'd speak about fire-based paramedic programs and, and pushing that. And even with our, our union brothers and sisters that right, were right. that were there to, to to talk about this. So it was like an ongoing, but my career path took me to, you know, into the assistant fire chief level when, mm. when I left. And again, so when Randy came to me and I'm ready to retire, I knew I'd have some time on my hands. I was looking for something I really didn't need to work, but it's nice to keep yourself connected. And I thought this would be one way I could Give off a little bit of help, okay. A few hours a week, just a couple hours a week. He said he promised <laughs> me that, and I wouldn't have to wash dishes anymore.
1: You know, and really, cocktails were involved, but
0: yeah, it I was probably should so have had, more. had many margaritas to <laughs> when, I, when I did. But then I met Baxter and I thought, come on, man, we got to do this together, right? Yeah, <laughs> all it's,
1: right, tell us your me.
2: journey.
0: So, um, I've been,
2: uh, in EMS for 54 years and had multiple different hats that I've worn and been a, a licensed paramedic in the state of California for 48 years, still a licensed paramedic in the, in the state of California. You certify every three years, every two years, two yeah, years? every two years. Wow. Um, so I've, I've been, I wanted to be able to do that to to show that, that that EMS is really a profession, and that we can be able to hold our own. Um, and so it's been a it's been a great ride. Randy and I met uh, speaking at some EMS conferences in Utah uh, together, and I'll never forget I uh, I invited him to come to one of my lectures. It was on genital injuries. And, oh, he's got a history uh, yeah, that talk about fringe-worthy yeah. lecture that was.
1: So, so, so they dedicated entire yeah whole, just I, it that. was a whole
2: lecture on on genital injuries, and I don't know why I'm with a professional,
0: but uh, and I'm definitely <laughs> not a subject matter expert. Can you please elaborate on that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Well comes, I, I can to a
3: certain <laughs> degree. I was eating a banana at the time, and I looked up at one of his slides, <laughs> oh, and I put and down, I threw yeah.
2: the banana down, and I haven't had a banana sauce so. <laughs> <Yeah>. But um <laughs> but but back onto the the good side. That's where Randy and I met. We met at a conference in Utah. And that was a good 20 years ago and, uh, been be, been become. Really good friends uh, ever since that, and then blessed about fifteen years ago that I got to uh, see Steve Martin, who is huh. an absolute uh, phenomenal individual and 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 truly a, a leader. It's hard, I mean, second in command of LA County Fire Department is not an easy task. It's not an no? Is not an easy place to be ah. able to 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 get to. So anybody. so I feel I feel blessed. <laughs> and when Randy asked if if I would be interested in yeah. being able to to do this, uh, Steve and I both you know said. Not a problem at all, and then never knew what we were getting ourselves into oh, but but w- what an educational ride this has yeah. been you know Steve and I are both um, retired, but not since we've started this process that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. for sure and and learning a, learning a lot about it it's been it's been an incredible journey for us yeah. because we went from um, basically not that we didn't know what we were doing but truly now knowing and feeling comfortable about what the organization is about and I think that you know I was brought on primarily because um, I might be able to Help us be able to find some of the associations and and some of the board members that we were able to bring mm-hmm. on. That I think that you we're did, really yeah. that we're really proud of. That we brought we're able to bring into into the unknown.
1: Well, let's talk about that. Yep. The early days, obviously, we we had to face. Okay, how do we build this? How do we do this? You know, how do we raise the money? Uh-huh. You know, what are the first steps? And that was one of the educations for me when you talked about. What are the associations? You know, typically a documentary doesn't bring that in or bring Mm -hmm. an advisory board. That's like the opposite of what you do. Mm -hmm. And yet you guys really educated me on why that was important. But I do remember you saying, you know, listen, the associations, you know, it's really hard to get them to come on board. And it was actually during COVID and and everybody was 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 locked down. And we're like, okay, let's just talk to their board. We were able Mm -hmm. to do it via Zoom. And in about three and a half months, how many associations do we have to come on
2: board and endorse us and support us? Yeah, I think 19, 18, 19. Yeah. We have nineteen yeah. associations, it and and, and these are these are associations that are are not small associations. I mean, we have They're we right. have and and. Emergency medical services isn't just pre-hospital care. It's really emergency medicine yeah, talk about as well. The,
1: how wide that's so it, it depends on is. what
2: you see. It's really from from the beginning of 911 to even a citizen taking care of somebody, stopping uh, stopping the bleed or doing citizen CPR is really the beginning. And then it ends when the person leaves the emergency department and may go to surgery and then is admitted into the hospital or discharged from the hospital. Mm-hmm. That element is really emergency medical services. So it starts when they make the call. Mm -hmm. Right. So trauma centers and burn centers and stroke hospitals and and all that are really a part of the system itself. So that's why when I said, you know, when Randy had said early about, uh, EMS and paramedics, paramedics, and emergency medicine, really all start at the same time. Yeah, I right. mean, we've, we haven't had trauma centers, you know, more than about 30 years in this country. I mean, it's, 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 it's been a big evolution for us.
3: If you were, if you were born, uh, 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 what, if you were born before 1970, you lived in a world that didn't really have paramedics. Well, no, not
0: and mm-hmm. It wasn't a universal way to, to call for help you know that was that was the biggest thing and again that's what happened over time that's what the show exposed and then for us in our careers where we get to that so those people that you mentioned for those organizations though we you know we reached out to the people that we knew that we'd worked around and been around and had been started in this industry started a lot of major programs in these industries and when and, we and mentioned they
1: came on the advisory board
0: yeah and then and they took our calls they were excited they a lot of them knew Randy they'd watched him through the years him and Kevin and listened to them and understood what they what their mission was Uh, Baxter was very well connected with these people across the country. And again, from just our time being in this, you know, in this profession, the people we knew, and we didn't have any hesitancy for for the, the organizations to come on board. And then we took the people that a lot of them were in charge of those organizations or worked around them and made those, you know, asked them to be on our advisory board. And it was just amazing how everybody came on board. But like you said... I remember one time, we, who did we meet that was in the industry? And they said, uh, you guys should make a, uh, a documentary about how you made your documentary. Because they said, yeah, they said no they go, that's your story. He goes, I, we've never seen anything like this. You know, okay, you didn't have any money. You went out and got all the organizations, the top people in there to back you. You had a story, but you didn't know where it was going to go. And again, you didn't have any money. Okay. And there's a pandemic on. Huh? So, and,
3: and you know, when, I, when, when we first started, I said, you know, what, what's the big deal? Uh, Tanya, you just point the cameras and, you know, let's see what we got. And Tanya goes, that's yeah. not the way it goes. Yeah. Well, I quickly found out that th- there's a big difference between a documentary and a, uh, a theatrical release on, a say, a written, uh, a scripted film. Big difference. And I didn't realize that. And I also didn't realize just how much work went into this and how much sacrifice that you have to do to make a quality film. You don't just stick a camera... And 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 follow a paramedic around mainly because we're trying to deal with PTSD. What what a paramedic goes through. Hang on, we have, have a plane. We, we have I a think a, they're landing. We're here in at the backyard. airport. Yep. Everybody, Ooh, we okay. we have an airdrop. Okay. Um, okay. uh your backyards. On the fire there we go. Already. Anyway. Um, what was my thought before the yeah, the things were coming? We're talking about for. we're talking about PTSD, but before oh, yeah, we yeah, we're there, gonna, okay, okay, yeah. But before
1: you go there, you know, let's talk a little bit about you know when we go back to how we brought everybody on and how okay. everybody was supportive, yeah. and uh, and then you know we talk about how do we raise money, yeah, you know, and that's why I think one of the things that was really amazing for me is to see how many people in the industry were willing to step up and support what we were doing, right? And the biggest one being AT and T FirstNet,
0: they
1: yeah. were unbelievable because because they've yeah. totally shared the vision of what we were trying to do. Yeah. We wanted to tell the story of what they're dealing with right now mm-hmm. and really explore that, really touch on where paramedics came from. But then also we have Massimo, we have Zoll they stepped mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. incredibly supportive, and wa- and really shared our vision, and right. that is really unusual.
0: Yeah, well, we knew that there was uh, large corporations out there that that have their connection with first responders, and AT and T FirstNet obviously was one of those. They were they were given the federal uh, government um, mandate to to build out the nine one one system mm-hmm. and a five G. So we knew they they're connected out there, and so when we came to them with with Randy's story of what he wanted to do, the vision of what we had, the people that we had supporting us. They said it was an easy thing for them. So we have some, like you said, people within the industry and those that are you know associated by the, by that. And so FirstNet has been huge for us. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, and I've been in the film business a long time and raised money for films. And I've never found an organization where really your, your missions are aligned. Mm. And you're really there to do the right thing and to tell the story in a really authentic, organic way.
2: Yeah. One thing would be interesting is put it in a question back to you, Tanya. And that is… Because this is relatively new for Steve and I, it just seems like we've been, it's almost like destiny has happened to us in this picture, that all of these things have lined up and I, I can't. Align, right. I can't. I can't say why that is, but is is that the normal that that things seem mm. to flow as well as what we're seeing here in, in this documentary? I can answer that one. No, well, <laughs> no.
1: And and but but here's on the flip side: is that we've also come up against a lot of obstacles. And yes. what I love yeah. about especially working with you guys as producer partners is that there isn't a single obstacle that comes in front of us that we don't go together. All right. Like we'll figure this out.
0: Yeah, let's go you know, around. We'll,
1: we'll, fi- we'll figure this out and we, can, and we can do it. And we do. And that's that's what I love. There's like nothing we can't overcome. So yes, mm-hmm. you're right. A lot of things have really come together. But I think it's because we're really united in terms of what we want to do.
2: I, I wonder if that's the background that Steve and I have in emergency medicine. I mean- not happen. not like Steve has been Steve's been incident commander on a lot of major major incidents in in his career so and and that means putting a lot of fires you know in in a lot of different locations
0: with a lot of different stuff the incident so. incident within the incident but i think it's funny that that we come together and we all seem to be so connected but yet there is a difference between us and that's a that's a good balance because obviously you're never going to get 3 4 5 people to ever agree on everything at right. at one time and so you know, Baxter's our watchdog. He's always the guy that's on the fence, saying, "Oh no, I, I don't. I'm not comfortable with not this. Comfortable. This isn't going to work." Not comfortable. <laughs> Steve, so we're, Steve. We, we get frustrated, and then we realize, it, and then we look at each other like, "Thank God we had Baxter to warn us <laughs> about that one." And so you know, you, you need that. You, told you so. Yeah, exactly. He that. says that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I told you so. I, I told you we shouldn't have done that. And so,
1: what's your role, Steve?
0: <laughs> yeah, mine is to go full force. <laughs> so let's cool. just go. Let's, run let's the, just go. Run the red lights. Yeah, run the in red lights. Miles figure out when you get there. Apologize at the end. Don't ask permission as forgiveness.
1: I'm not even going to ask where I fit in that mix. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about, let's talk about what that was like for you guys, given your backgrounds. Now you're stepping into production and now we're in the early stage of production. We're going out and interviewing people. We're telling Mm -hmm. their stories. So we had an incredible year. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. we were going through the pandemic, so that delayed us from filming, but that gave us the time to really Interview people and kind of cast the people we want to highlight. Mm -hmm. We were so fortunate to get incredible stories. Mm. We had to cull it down to only a handful. But what was a story that you heard that stayed with you, whether or not we ended up going with them as a character? Mm -hmm. What was a story that stayed with you? And I'll let you, who wants to start first on that one? Steve, you want
0: to go? I'll go. Um, It is a story I believe that we're going with. Um, It was a a young lady that uh, became a paramedic because she, as a high school student, was uh, at Columbine High School with her sister when one of their classmates came with a gun, obviously, and and killed many of their other classmates. And um, to listen to somebody who's, who's not just lived through that, but then has a perspective of what that did for her in life and what she decided to do, if I remember correctly, she went off to school, she had a whole different direction she was going, but something kept gnawing at her that kept telling her I never wanted to be in this situation again where I felt helpless, where I could help anybody. And she decided to look around and think, what is it that I could do that could be helped? And who were the first people that would have been there to help these people? And it was a paramedic and she changed her life. And now she's a um, you know career uh, paramedic. And so is her sister who was there with her. And I just thought there's a, there's a lot of reason why people do uh, get into this profession, you know, and, and, and again, what the things they find out once they're there, The stories come from all different directions, but that one was one of pure inspiration of what brought her into this. It
1: stayed with you. Yeah. Yeah. That was
2: excellent. Probably a, a, a gentleman that I had heard about that we went and interviewed that. He was, a, he was a person that was trying to find himself for a while. Um, got out of high school, went to EMT training. Um, and after EMT training, he still was trying to figure out what he wanted to do and, and went into the, uh, into the Navy and became a medic in the Navy because he had been an EMT. And, and, and then went to the Middle East and got assigned to a Marine uh, Special Forces Battalion uh, as, the, uh, as the medical Per uh, the medic for assigned to them, and um, and saw a lot of. A lot of stuff and, and some stuff that was a little uh, traumatic for him, both the things that would happen to civilians, things that would happen to casualty uh, of, of of his fellow soldiers. And came home, um, worked for a private ambulance company for a while, um, knew that he wanted to be a firefighter, uh, went on and became a, a firefighter. And um, we found his story and we found it really intriguing. We always wanted to have a military story. I mean, Steve and I pushed this really a lot. We, we, f- we felt that that was something that Steve being in the military was very strong about it. But I, I I knew a lot of people that that have gone into EMS because of the military, and so we brought him in, and an incredible story. Mm-hmm. He's a um, it's terrible to say he's a man's man. He has this this cowboy look to him that's absolutely amazing. Um, but it, w- unfortunately, when he came back, he was still broken. But I don't think he really realized that yeah. he hit, that he was kind of a broken soul, um, and found himself in EMS. Found out uh, mm-hmm. that reached out for some help and and got that help. And I, I think you'll find an underlying. Thread in EMS providers that many of them are attracted to EMS because of some tragedy that they ended up having, you know, in in so, their life at some so, point.
1: So actually, there was trauma that existed before they came in.
2: Yeah, yes. And 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 this individual, uh, we had a, another young lady that was in San Diego that had a near death experience and then and then mm-hmm. got in, involved in EMS uh, uh, as well and became a paramedic. But there, mm-hmm. that seems to be a thread yeah. that happens in, in a lot of these professionals.
0: Yeah, now, now that, Tanya, that we did, we did these interviews together. Is there one that stood stood up for you?
2: you? You know what the one that stood up for me
1: was the one, and the gentleman was in, um, kind of a, in a kind of a not rural, but actually kind of out in the Forest Service. Oh, and yeah. and he had a call out into the lake, mm-hmm. and uh, this story stayed with me forever. And that was he went down, and he was used to water you know rescues Mm -hmm. and so he went down and and they thought it was a suicide goes to the bottom there's the woman he picks her up not an overly large woman he can't lift her Mm -hmm. and so he knows he's running out of air he drops her he goes back up he takes another breath he goes back down he can't figure out why he can't lift her Mm -hmm. they finally manage to kind of lift her up you know with you know they leverage things and get her up and then they hoist her over in the boat and there's an anchor tied to her yeah. ankle. Mm-hmm. And it. And when he told that story, I mean, he broke up, oh, yeah. but it was shocking. And that experience, because he said he remembers her face about the same age as he was, had a young mm-hmm. child, and yet she made that decision to take her life mm-hmm. with such persistence that she tied an anchor to her leg. Yeah. And he said... I couldn't pass that lake. I couldn't turn the shower on. I couldn't be around water for years. Uh And that, to me, was such a revelation. Now, you both have been in this industry and understand the impact of trauma. I didn't completely understand how that worked in that level. And that story Uh stayed with me. In an incredible way.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, that's the thing that Baxter and I didn't think of. Um, we were new to this profession. So we, we needed to learn your language. We needed to learn a whole new thing in producing, which is good. It's good for me at this age to learn new things. But what I didn't think about until we did some filming was that the people that are filming with us, you know, our camera operators and that, what I'm seeing is normal stuff that I've seen for 40 years. And they're seeing some of this for the first time. And some of this trauma hits them. And then all of a sudden we looked over at them and we thought, oh gosh, I think we just traumatized our camera crew. And so now, now we turn into the peer counselors and, and having yeah. to talk to them at the same type same thing I did on my job I'm not doing for, you know, the camera folks. And Baxter's calling them and, and we're checking on them and we're thinking. The, when you cross professions with something mm-hmm. like this, a documentary about right. something. That's so just, real. Yeah, you just don't. I never, never saw that coming.
1: I didn't see it coming That either. the
0: people would see what I would see. I, I would just imagine they'd see it through my eyes and react the same. Mm-hmm. But, but the, right. you know, the flip side of that is, is the up.
2: Which is we have you know a, a gentleman that was on our film crew who oh, got yeah. excited about Great what salary. it is that we're that we're really interested in being able to do, mm-hmm. and what is he now but you know he's in an EMT program a- to to yeah. learn to be yeah. an EMT with an ultimate goal that he wants to be a paramedic yeah. now all inspired by our working film with working with us. So the, the you know what, So
1: at, so as the producer, you know, I just have to say, you know what? What the heck were you thinking? We lost an incredible yeah. assistant cameraman. Wow, <laughs> yeah. he's he in was in paramedic good. school.
0: But, and he was and, good.
1: Damn. Great job, yeah. Max. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You you just lost producer <laughs> voice <Probably> for that <laughs> one. All right, I'm gonna circle back to right. Randy to share a, if if there's a story that stayed with you during the interviews uh,
3: uh, well this this is from two personal friends of mine that I've known for about 15 years maybe a little bit more and unfortunately it didn't work out where well, we could go there and, oh. and, and film them mm-hmm. and that's uh, well I'm not going no. to but, but nonetheless two great guys they were they were partners forever they're about as close they're about as close as two human beings yeah, I mean they were they were partners for twenty years, maybe maybe even longer. But the humor of the two, but the minute the call comes in, the minute that call came in, uh, comes in, they're absolutely professional, one hundred percent. They just they, and two more qualified people to be paramedics, and and to be paramedics on the streets of New York is tough. Yeah, uh, very tough for that. And uh, so those two guys, major disappointment w- that we weren't able to capture. Them. Yeah. Uh, and, but, you they, know, who seen knows? one there day is. we may do a sequel to this. Yeah. And if we do, they're yeah. going to be the top of the list. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's kind of what we hope. <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd like to see some of these people again that we've spoken yeah. with that we just weren't able right. to get into their organizations for whatever yeah. reasons it, it, may, it may have been. That the stories were still very incredible. Very incredible. I'd like to do it.
1: Well, you know what? This has been this has been incredible, and we're going to keep having this conversation. But you know, we are up here for fiesta,
0: la fiesta,
1: and Senta this is Marca. a time to celebrate. So I don't know. Uh oh! <laughs>
0: okay. Is that is that so, your phone?
1: somebody did not turn their. Phone Wait on. a minute!
0: Listen. Oh I know whose phone that is. Oh I know who oh, oh, my God. Oops.
3: Sorry guys, I gotta go.
0: The, the okay. most famous sorry, firefighter is, who's never is, fought a fire. Is yeah. Randy's phone just got, no. <laughs>
3: that
0: my you got a problem. Yeah. He's, with he, that? Yeah. he's an Uber driver so I don't on the know. side. He should, has to go drive Should somewhere.
1: we ask our technical director to also be our
0: our mixologist. Our, our, our mixologist. Yeah.
1: So we can for, <laughs> so make some for our next
0: We are at so La Fiesta. So we yes. can have a
1: little cocktail while we go through yeah. what we continue to talk about the film.
0: Crack some confetti eggs on us.
1: We're going to get our cocktails and we will be right back with you. The Into the Unknown podcast is brought to you by FirstNet, built with AT&T. FirstNet is the only network built with and for first responders, including paramedics and EMTs. It's designed to fit your evolving communications needs with innovative, mission-critical solutions so you can keep yourself and your communities safe. fiesta!
2: fiesta! What are you drinking, Randy? Randy, what are you drinking?
0: Ice Welcome tea? back. Iced tea? That is not iced oh, yeah, tea, that Randolph. Right? That's a margarita, tea. so you might want to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when do you put a lime and salt around
0: the rim of iced tea? Yeah. you yeah. <laughs> tried it, They'll knock it. Yeah. That's his third one, so I hope he knows it's not iced tea. All right. Uh, yeah, what are you're, you drinking, Steve? You're gonna be fine. I, I decided not I to drink alcohol, so I've got a Coors Light. Are <laughs> they a sponsor, by the way? <laughs> not Why do you have to name them by name. We just lost a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, they
1: won't be uh, now. I'm,
0: yeah,
2: I'm drinking AT and T Ice Tea first now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: It's <laughs> like you're drinking the urine after we've our beers.
2: And then I'm going to okay. have a shot of Massimo, and yeah. I'm going to have a, yeah. a little bit a of Zole Medical on the side. Yeah, Zol- oh my Chaser.
3: We've got, we got right. product placement here. Yes. <laughs> Tell
0: us that we can. All
1: right. So we're Pits. back. We're here in Fiesta. We've been coming up and doing this together for all of us with all the families for...
0: Hundreds of years.
1: A ton of years. So, yeah, all right. It has been. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right, so I'm going to ask you. Okay, so Randy no Fiesta is like one of your favorite holidays. It is right after Fourth of July.
3: It's it's it, it runs in this order: Thanksgiving, Christmas, Fourth of July, and Fiesta. Write that down. Man-Tooth all right. Fans. So what do you
1: love about Fiesta? Obviously, Johnny I gave. grew up in Santa Barbara, and so yes, and,
3: and, and so did I. So uh, it's it's because it's five days, and it is f- family oriented. Until you hit the bars, then the families Mm. are all at home. Yeah. Uh, um,
0: Or you go to the rodeo. (laughs) or Or you go to the rodeo. We don't want to talk about, Which, about that. we don't the, talk the, about the rodeo anymore.
3: The guys <laughs> love the rodeo, the girls not so much. Um and it's just everything about it. Just, I'm sorry, just, do the
1: guys actually love the rodeo? I do. Okay. I do say Yeah,
0: yeah Rodeo is a whole different experience. I,
1: director,
0: that's right? a whole different documentary.
2: But poor Fiesta, we've missed it for a couple of years because of COVID. No,
0: no,
3: because Tanya doesn't want to go anymore.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, but
3: well last year
1: the, <laughs> no, no, they're not the rodeo, the fiesta. We missed Fiesta's colour. Yes, the last we did, years. because
3: of the yeah. COVID. The, yeah, but
2: last you know what, year I had even
1: nothing to do with the pandemic. Please don't horse, put that on me.
2: But still, but still, no parade last year. But we still got together. That was yes, that's true.
3: And we and, had our own parade in the front yard. Well,
2: yeah. and then what? What's special this year? Because we brought a new generation to oh, Fiesta this year. That, that, year. that was, was pretty. Fiesta. That was pretty. That new. was great.
0: Yes. Brought my wife. Yeah. The whole <laughs> new generation. <laughs> <Our> blades. <laughs> You mean your ex-wife? I can't wait till she gets out of high school. (laughs) (laughs) Your ex-wife. Great, we could take her to places.
3: She just graduated, so let's (laughs) all congratulate her.
1: la fiesta! (laughs) That's right, I have a grandson, two years old. He's experiencing fiesta for the first time. You've never
3: seen a horse before that's right yeah. and uh and boy he got his fill of horses that day yep
1: and he had the egg with all the little confetti yeah. in it and
0: put it all over my head that's now all over my car
1: exactly <laughs> and, and randy tried to crack it on his head and almost no. gave him a concussion and
0: now yeah. he's now he's out front mowing randy's lawn <laughs> uncle randy <laughs> yeah. way he to go his keep.
2: and yeah. then we had cooper they got to join us as well
0: yeah,
1: yeah.
3: a new puppy yeah yeah, yeah. A new puppy. You, can't you can't call that horse how many a puppy
1: okay, four, please. Four, four and a half mo- four and a half months yeah four hundred
3: pounds
0: that
1: is it not is. a
3: puppy.
2: So close, it is a family. It is a whole family thing. And, you know, it is, it is. As, a, as a person who um, is, is new to this group and uh, and and also uh, doesn't have much of a family um, other than my wife's family, um, you guys are truly my family. And
0: Steve. Are, are you not? Com- yeah. <laughs> and, ne- and next he's going to say he's not comfortable with this. That's a,
1: his next line. Fa- I'm not line. comfortable. <laughs> yeah. I'm not comfortable
0: with it. It's either phenomenal or I'm not comfortable. It's one or the other. There's no in between.
1: Well, right. obviously, you know, Stephen Bax, uh-huh. you know, I've known you guys for years. And then we went on the road together to do this film. Oh, and, um,
0: worst, <laughs> <laughs> and worst so, thing I've ever done. But go ahead. Let's go down <laughs> so yeah. that
1: path. So yeah. that, that's been an interesting experience that we've had to go through together because we were. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I'm, I'm curious.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So obviously I've been on the road. I've shot a number of films and mm-hmm. documentaries and been in production for many decades and um how many yeah
0: I, <laughs> <just> <laughs> define decades i Wait. told you she, she wasn't gonna like <laughs> that I, question I,
1: I did mention that i had a grandson like oh, why did i throw yeah, myself goodness. under myself under the bus um it's Randy's so you know so obviously i knew what we were going into um in terms of going out on the road and 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 having that kind of experience what was that experience like for you guys
0: well, it's different for us because what we were doing on the road was going back out to what I did all my career and mm-hmm. working with people that are in, in um, you know, uh, fire departments or pre-hospital care, running red lights and sirens and going to calls where people are injured and dying, whatever it may be. So that was natural for me. It was looking around and knowing that there's a film crew with someone with the lights and a boom and all the stuff behind and all the equipment that we had to protect the- you know because just the, the sheer cost of it all the coordination of it all that you guys um all did and finding a role in that coordination um it was interesting like i said it's like learning a new job and, and learning a new language and it was all good so the surprise part for me was on the production side what about you backs
2: well, yeah, it, uh, it's weird to have a whole group of new brothers and sisters that you go out on this because it's not a small, you know, th- this is not a small production. I was pretty amazed at the size of, the, of our crew that we would go out with. I, I thought what was interesting is maybe you could tell us, Tanya, about your the first one that you went out on, that you and Steve went on, <laughs> because first off, it was it wasn't a shift that was a day shift. It was night shifts, so they started at seven uh, p.m. till seven a.m. This is in Baton Rouge, and it, was in, right. and it was in Baton Rouge. And the temperature in Baton Rouge was just lovely. I remember mm-hmm. when you were yes. when you were there. Mm-hmm. So I I thought that was that was kind of a an eye opener for you guys because I remember getting these thousands of texts of I brought the wrong clothes with me. <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty much put yeah. all my clothes on that was in yeah. my suitcase yeah. in order to try to because you're right. I Layers. didn't. You know, once I realized that we were going to be doing night shoots, it's like that's brutal when you have a 4 p.m. call. You're going to finish at 4 a.m. in the morning. That's that. That's tough. But, you know, I just want to circle back when you talk about what the difference of going on the road with production people. So I've been on the road with production. I've been in production a long time. You know, you, you do, you create a bit of a family. You're very connected. You're kind of in the trenches together, absolutely. But I do have to say that this has been a very unusual experience huh. because there is a sense of family and there is a sense of kind of belonging uh. and and being part of something greater than themselves. And I've seen that in this crew and I have never seen that in all the years that I've produced. And I have to say that has to do with the three of you and that is really incredible because because well, we talked a little bit about you know our assistant cameraman who now has gone to paramedic school. He experienced it, but that was something he spent time with both of you talking about that. But all of them, you're you're now surfing with like half the crew when we come back. I mean, everybody stays in touch. God, you know, we're in a group text, and 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 people care about each other. If somebody's sick or something has happened, like we reach out. That doesn't happen in this industry, and that is really a testament. To what the three of you are bringing.
2: I wonder if that's the unique thing about Steve and I, because we had no expectations going out of of what we were supposed to do when Mm. we were there. And so, you know, you know, we we don't know what a producer's role really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And but we do know what a team role is. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I. Kind of felt like this was 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 kind of a team. Well, we aren't you with. guys
1: used to kind of creating a family? Because isn't yeah, that yeah. what it means? Whether you know, when you're in the firehouse, yeah, I mean, you you create exactly. family, and that's what you guys brought. You guys yeah. can so I created a family. So when
0: it came time to to move equipment and do things, we jump in. We'd be part of the crew, and later on, the guys would come and say, uh, "I've never worked on a production before where the producers actually come and help us lift the equipment and do the stuff you're doing." And I'm like, "Okay, well, it's because we don't know what the producer's supposed to do." <laughs> so I <laughs> Instead of being a curious non-producer, I would jump in and help you lift it. They're all giving us those weird looks like, uh, the union ain't going to like this. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> union yep. disclaimer. This is not to be used. We may have been in trouble now with the union, yeah. Steve. Thanks. Yeah, it's okay. I didn't really lift anything. I just told Tanya to do it. <laughs> I pointed. That, that needs to be moved on you when you pick oh my i gotta sort back <laughs> yeah but, but you that, know, might it have, is interesting. that may
2: have been the reason why that that we all you know seem to bond a little bit yeah. and mm-hmm. and still today you know it's it's funny that we all still talk to each other and in so our it's director actually, you know
1: It's actually pretty yeah. incredible that it is. We, we talk to each other all the time and yeah. then we still go away on the holidays together yeah. so right. yeah but,
0: yeah but talking to these you know the producers and the, the you know the the young kids on the crew and the people that we've you know, got to know. You're still texting. They're asking you, hey, how's this? How's that? What's going on in your life? I'll meet you over here for call. I mean, it's and we didn't know what we didn't know. Right. So for us, this is just standard.
1: Well, and and so this is what it was like for me to step into your world, because obviously, you know, you were there in the production world like, okay, how does this all work? And I was doing the same thing. It's like, how does this work in EMS and I mm. got a rude awakening.
0: Oh yeah. Well Tanya in the firehouse, that was an interesting one. When she kept saying <laughs> when she kept asking the guys, how long have you been on the force? <laughs> I thought I had to pull her to the side and say, uh, hey listen, Angie Dickinson, uh, this is this isn't policewoman. Force is for law enforcement. Okay. You've been on the department. But she caught on after about six, right? Well you know, I'm traveling
1: and- with all men. I'm in firehouses with all men trying to pick <laughs>
0: up the lingo, you know, yeah. and,
1: and I'm, and after, are you bragging
0: now? No, no, I'm that's not
1: because of the, at the end of many, many weeks, I'm like, I need to change my meditation that I need more men in my life. Yeah. Like I'm going to change that because whew, yeah. that's a lot of men
0: at one point we had 12 on our crew and we were in a large firehouse, which was 10. Okay. That's a lot of men. <laughs>
1: Ah, that's a lot of men. Well, and, Tony, you, uh, could uh, hold, it was, you
0: could yeah, hold your own. You yeah, had two brothers, yeah. Randy being a brother. Is like,
1: I, I, I was pretty much worn out I because Steve like, and, I and I were new though. Testosterone yeah. overload.
2: Being new as producers, we didn't realize that it was a responsibility in the morning to bring coffee to oh, the uh, yeah. to our our executive boss producer, um, Ms. Mantu. Well, you know, we didn't actually, realize that coffee I've, in my, the morning was a
0: responsibility my to two do. Two
1: producer partners, only one of them would bring me coffee in Oops. the
0: morning. Yeah, but like, one would buy you
2: a drink once in a
0: while. Yeah. Yeah. And other things. Well, the one that I didn't know was, is that we were supposed to go get snacks for the crew. And I thought, Hey, I've been from the firehouse. The chief does not bring snacks (laughs) to the kids at the firehouse. Okay. That ain't supposed to be the other way around. (laughs) And then they had these expectations of exactly what snacks. And I was like, what in the heck are we doing here? And then I realized that I was the only guy that was out of step. This is our job. We buy I'm snacks.
1: Like, I, I'm like Steve. You can't just like buy them pizza. You have to ask them what they want. He's yeah, like, I thought, yeah no, no. that's not. Yeah, gonna you know happen. what it is. They'll, eat, they'll the eat. what We
0: bring, bring them. <laughs> and, right. like, and they're like, oh, no, no, that's going to be a union issue. That's going to be. Union. I'm like,
2: <laughs> where the hell
0: did the union come from?
2: I well, just, and yeah. one of the roles that a producer is supposed to have as well is, is is kind of the safety officer and making sure that everything is all good. And oh, we got that. that <laughs> and that one, and and the one that I went on with Tanya was in a in a community that was. It was kind of a little rough area that we went to, and our our, our crew was out filming, and I was <laughs> staying in the vehicle watching, you know, this equipment because we have. Hmm. This was one of our chase vehicles that had all these cameras that were on the outside that you know, hundred thousand dollars worth of oh, you know gear that was there, plus yeah. the inside yeah. stuff, and then the camera that the guys had was a well over a hundred thousand dollars as well. And I remember looking up, and this gentleman and his friend are walking right towards me, and. I'm seeing them, and then all of a sudden, they split apart from each other, and then one reaches behind himself, and he's got a golf club. The other guy's got a bat, and I go... What are these, I wonder what game that's going to
0: be that they're going to go and play. <laughs> Tanya, Tanya, please, Tanya, level one, level yeah. one, Tanya. So, so there is no radio, by the way. Yeah.
2: Um, so I, I go ahead and I climb back in the vehicle. I lock the doors. I roll everything up, and I'm sitting there going, okay, how is this going to work? And so, so finally, they come up to the car itself, and I'm, I'm like looking at them, and they're split on both sides of the car that they could bash in at any second. So they go, what are you doing here? So I roll the window down slightly. I go, we're shooting a documentary. And he says, oh, yeah, what kind of documentary? And I don't know where this came from. But I said, it's a law enforcement documentary. So- <laughs> and the and the vehicle we had was a black, you know, suburban that looked like, you know, an FBI vehicle or something like that. And the guy went, oh, 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 uh-huh. really? And I said, and I said oh, yeah, and we're in our police vehicle that we use and we just put some camera gear on it. Little do these guys know that the guys are behind me down in a ravine with about a $200,000 piece of equipment that, you know, was also available.
0: Yeah. And
2: the two guys in just left because they were afraid that I was going to radio something in, which I had no radio to call in. <laughs> 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 cell phone. Cell phone. Yeah.
0: I mean, <laughs> security, security.
2: So then they walk away. I, I, I run down to the ravine. I'm going, get up here. They're going, Why, we don't have a shot yet. I said, yes, you do. Come yep. on. So I get back in the vehicle. And actually, it's done by a yeah. bee. If, i think we gotta go it was, he's it not
0: was, feeling comfortable that was shocker
2: yeah, feeling a little uncomfortable steve yeah, that was a, no,
0: i'm just a little uncomfortable here so that was a that you was, know that was a, the mayor right and one of his his aides that yeah, she just shoot away little did i
2: know that there was a golf course right next yeah. <laughs> to one.
0: but and a bad occasion.
2: but we did have some yeah. good looks by the guys when they when they uh when yeah. they left in their car around us but that was <laughs> yeah so we, we almost died on a shoot. But, yeah. well, okay,
1: well, all right. Well, I don't think I have insurance for that. But um, <laughs> but one of the things that I saw was the very first night we were out, and then we were shooting at night. And next thing I know, I'm in a vehicle,
3: mm.
1: and we are racing through mm. a city.
3: Mm. A rough area.
1: rough area in the rain.
0: Is nighttime in the rain?
1: Nighttime in the rain. <laughs> what could go wrong here? And I went. Okay, this is this is not what I expected. You know, this was a That's really a, this is exactly what I expected. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> see, I stepped into your world. Yeah. And, and and when I started to when we started to actually experience the calls, and and people who and, and again, this was this was a tough area, and mm-hmm. and we 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 faced some tough calls, mm-hmm. and and people who didn't make it to the hospital, and while that was right. totally your world. And so yeah. did not, I wouldn't say didn't phase you, but it was not unexpected, and it was unexpected for me. And no. that that was a that was a rude awakening yeah. that we are making a film that is going to be incredibly important mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know the people impact. who you know regular civilians don't really understand what well. you know what is. what what everyone is experiencing and what they're facing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, and and let's talk talk a little bit about that. You know, let's talk about, you know, obviously we knew what we wanted to talk about in terms of the early discussions of, you know, whether it's workplace violence, you know, it's reduction in forces, all of that, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then we knew we wanted to touch on wellness and mental health and all that. But what's the topic? What's a thread that has come up over and over in this process of what we've been filming.
0: Well, it's it's been very obvious since the first person we, we even talked to on, on just Zoom interviews before we went out to meet him was the impact that the job has on them personally and Psychology. on their family and on everything around them. And how do they handle those stresses and strains? Because every individual is different. But yet two people can go on a call and see the same thing and it impacts each one of them differently. And every single person we ever talked to on the on the uh the first initial interviews talked about that process. And then once we went out there and made it to um to film then then that became obvious. And like I said, it for us, it was expected, you know, for guys like me and Baxter, we've done this all our careers. But when I saw you and we talk at night and you talk over what you'd seen and what you did, I realized, oh, okay, see, this is why sometimes as professionals we have to look out for those that we work around. And um, maybe we're in charge of, or maybe they're just partners of yours because they're experiencing things. And just because it didn't affect you, but it can affect them. And then we've seen that through the years. But um, and as Baxter will probably attest to was throughout our careers, the last 30 years and since emergency, no one ever talked about mental health issues. No one ever went into that. Um, people had problems. It, in fact, it was actually frowned upon to go back and discuss your feelings, as it were. It was bucket up and, uh, have a little dark humor. And however you handled it when you drove away from work is how you handled it. Well, we found out through the years that, um, people, some people didn't handle it well, you know, and whether they, you know, went down a certain path of, of escaping or whether they took it out in anger and violence. I mean, it, it came to a head in the last 30 years. And we realized instead of, treating it at the end when we'd see, you know, the, the the final outcome that someone might have, that we had to go back and recognize the signs early on of those that didn't want to raise their hand. And that's the really good thing about this profession is we are very proud of where we're going with that. We are, most certainly don't have our arms around it yet, but there is, the, the movement is within peer counseling and doing that. And, did, and you had an experience, I think I remember it right, where, where we went to um, uh, visit one of our, our subject matter experts.
1: Yeah, we well, did. Yeah, absolutely. And Kellogg. And, and yeah. Kellogg, right, mm-hmm. in Oregon. <laughs> the Los Angeles County Fire Museum celebrates the history of the American Fire Service and the contributions made to that history by the Los Angeles County Fire Department. One of the Los Angeles County Fire Museum's goals is to document and present the evolution, history, and impact of fire based emergency medical services. What I'd love to know is when do you think the industry really started to see the impact? Like, I know you've talked a number of times Mm -hmm. of you come back from a tough call Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it's, and the guys are all okay. And, but you insist that they talk with people, you know, talk a little bit about that. And then back want you did talk a little bit about kind of when you felt like the industry as a whole really felt, um, compelled to put things in place to support and I, I agree mm-hmm. you know it's like it's an it's it's evolving and it's becoming to the forefront so talk a little bit about that
0: well just this kind of job and I think uh, back to so you can understand um, this job uh, pushes out the bravado pushes out the, the macho and whether it's male or female it, it doesn't matter but it's it's always been a position of you see things that most people don't see so you must be able to handle it better than most people can see it and so people have done these have, have like I said, compartmentalize these things, and it was just frowned upon to talk about. It. In fact, if if you you know if you brought something up, so what we learned early on is if you walk into the room after a, a very traumatic call and ask everybody if they're okay, everybody says they're okay. No one's going to stick their hand up and say they're not okay. Well, we started learning was male or female. Oh uh, yeah, it didn't matter who it was, age on the job didn't matter. The young guys look to the old folks and they say, okay, he's okay, I must be okay. And so that, that, that didn't help, you know, but we realized then that there was still issues. So the way we started learning was just to talk to each other and start recognizing things in each other. And the smart thing that I learned once I was in a position to, to, uh, to be in charge and make it my call was just to pull the trigger on something, make it happen. And the first time I ever did that, I can still remember I was working in one of the toughest places in LA County and I had the toughest uh, folks around me and I asked everybody "Are they're okay and they were all just fine. And, um, I just decided on my own, I got a little worried. I thought, this is a very, very traumatic call that I know that's the type that, you know, people that, that the folks on the job will have universally told us that anything involving infants and children, you know, it always hits them the hardest. So I decided to pull the trigger on peer counseling and I was shocked at what happened in that room. Once the professionals and even our peer counselors came in and started talking to people. And once the tears started flowing, I realized, Oh my goodness. So I went out and then put together a program for young, uh, you know, uh, people in my position as young chiefs. that says, "Quit asking for, you know, for permission or asking if anything's wrong. Just do it, and then it things will happen. And if you can help them that way." But Baxter, you've you've seen this whole peer counseling and, and stuff develop like the last what, 20, 25 years, right?
2: Yeah, it's funny. I <clears throat> I think that. The- we we didn't learn all our lessons. You know, I mean, when we had these group of people that came back after World War II, and then we had Korea, and then we had Vietnam that were pretty disturbed about some of the things that they had seen, you know, we didn't realize the fact that the same thing was happening in EMS. It, it's just that it was happening on a daily basis. And they would run one call, then they'd run another call, then they'd run another call and not realize the fact that these things all ca- catch up to each other.
1: So it's a cumulative...
2: Yeah, and in, in fact, it was it was funny. One of our, if you remember, one of our stories. It, it, it was wonderful that that um, she had said that she went to uh, to a counselor to to get some counseling support, and she th- said that she traumatized the, the counselor. counselor when she left, and she felt yeah. really yeah, more.
1: The counselor was crying, was yeah, sobbing at the end of the yeah, session. Yeah,
2: that, that 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 that's that that kind of tells you a little bit about what what we end up seeing, and mm-hmm. and. And some of these things we, we take home with us. Um, and we have some of the highest alcohol problems. We definitely have, uh, some problems with, with abuse problems of, 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 of of neighbors spousal. and spousal and law and and substance and every other type of abuse that can happen. And I, I think over the last twenty years, has that really been recognized? You know, I I, I think that suicide in in EMS uh, and in fire service and in law enforcement of first responders is is outrageously high. And I think that it, it's now being recognized that it's a problem. And we're now you know as as Steve says, developing support groups, um, recognizing that we have these problems is is is, is the first sign for us to make be able to make these changes <clears throat> and the and and, federal and government, think, federal government's involved in it now too yeah.
1: and, and I think people recognize that in terms of law enforcement but I don't think people recognize that for paramedics because it circles back to what do paramedics do mm-hmm. And in that profession it's like sometimes they're just seen as ambulance drivers and that's part of what the film is about. It's like that is not the case. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't understand why they're experiencing such extreme trauma, you have to understand what it is they actually do.
2: On a daily basis. A and daily that's the basis. difference. You know, you can have one or two calls that will stick with you and stick with you and, and cause you to have problems. But it's the cumulative effect that you have. Um, the other problem that we have is, is there's some sleep deprivation problems as well. We have some of our crews that are working, you know, 24. Now the end thing is is 48 hours, 40 72 hours. hour shifts where they will be working continuously. And, and in many of those cases, they're slept sleep deprivation problems. And that Mm -hmm. causes stress. You know, there's, it's not the easiest place to eat sometimes uh, as Mm -hmm. well when you're on calls. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're sometimes not eating the best in the nutrition
0: that they have and the fluid intake that they have. And all of that causes uh, problems for them as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the the other things when we talked earlier in the podcast about this, this family or where does it start? It starts with, uh, you know, with the person that calls 911, but dispatchers. I think it's just been the last five to ten years that even anybody figured out how much pressure is the person under how much stress is it to take the call of someone having a cat- catastrophic event happening in fo- in front of them and then we have these issues with dispatchers again a lot of times they 'll stay on the line they 'll talk someone through cpr they 've heard they hear shots in the background they 're talking to somebody that they learned later didn 't make it. I mean, they have a lot of, you don't have to be at the scene and see blood to be stressed in this industry. Right. And, and so now that we recognize that, because again, they have high incidence of PTSD, they have high incidence of suicide and re- retention for the job is tough too. So.
1: And so one of the dispatchers we interviewed said how long, what was the longest time they were on the call? She said 45 minutes. I was giving verbal CPR.
0: Mm-hmm. Like I said, you don't have to be out there it, with hand, hand boots on the ground to be traumatized in this. Profession. And they don't
1: always know what happens to them.
0: No, no. so no. The, now they're the left. The unknown. Yeah. Yeah, but what a lot of people don't realize is
2: either the EMS people, um, um, they, they get somebody, they take them to the hospital, and lots of times, I say more times than not, they have no idea what the follow-up is of, of that patient. So you don't Especially, get
0: a closure. Well, no, you pa- don't get closure. Pa- patient and, privacy laws have, yeah, have changed what we used to be able yeah. to find out if, if what we did worked, didn't work, or what we could do better. We, we did, we'd have tape review of, of the patients that we did and saw and what we did. And it was a learning experience. That all really got cut out with patient privacy, and so that's actually kind of set us back a little bit on on some of these closures, like you said.
3: From a personal standpoint, yeah. Yeah. If I could mention, the very first ride-along I ever went on uh, was with, well, we're not giving out names here, but the very first rescue I ever went out on. uh, I didn't know what to expect. I'm just a young actor. I had minimal training as a paramedic, minimal training as a firefighter. But here I am, red light and siren, with my helmet on, sandwiched between two incredible paramedics, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is great. This is great. We roll up. First thing I see is this 11, 12 year old little boy who had been knocked off his bike and run over by the two back wheels of one of those moving trucks, this big white boxy things, run over his torso, his, his, his abdomen and, and his hips, his, his pelvis. And, uh, 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 first off that, 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 struck me dumb because I would never seen anything like that before. And I, and I knew intellectually what this was like to go to this, to, to, to see something like this, but emotionally caught me totally off guard. And I remember <clears throat> distinctly the captain and all these firefighters were kind of bent over the little kid. Kid was scared to death. He was kind of gasping for air. And, uh, and he said, uh, he kept looking up to the firefighters and he said, uh, to, to whoever he was talking to, because I was kind of looking over everybody else's shoulders and he said, the uh, little boy said, am I going to die? And uh, the cat said, uh, no, buddy, you're not going to die. Not on my watch? No. You know, I don't know whether this little boy survived those injuries or not. All I know is, is that verbal placebo made that little boy feel better. I wish he would have said something to me because I wasn't feeling good at all. I mean the phrase you can't unsee what you've seen that never left me. Right. And I came home that night and I went I'm never going to go on another one of these rides again. Hmm. And then I was talked down by, you know, the two two paramedics that uh, that I was with and and they explained, you know, to me what what was really happening. But that was my very 1st ride write-along. Now, mind you, I, didn't, I don't think all my other write-alongs had anything quite that serious, but that affected me. Mm-hmm. I'm telling this story 50 years later. That's how long that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And if, if, we can, if we can show the impact of what this is happening, what's happening to paramedics and EMTs and firefighters, if we can show this to our audience and, and get them to understand uh uh this is something that's never been caught on film before because we're not doing a ride along i mean you know, we'll see them in action this is not your normal paramedic uh documentary uh, uh, film this is going to be about what it in in my in my mind what it takes to be a firefighter what it takes paramedic. to stay a firefighter paramedic Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. Paramedic, what what it takes to be a paramedic, what it takes to stay a paramedic, and what it takes to uh, and what it takes uh, uh, to remain a paramedic, and still the, the you know the the sacrifices that they make. I don't think the general public knows. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They take paramedics for for granted now. They expect nine one one
0: paramedics are going to be there and they're going to save their lives. You know that's not how it works. So, Well, Tanya, one of the important things that we we need to talk about, too, is it's not just a matter of of showing that there's um, these issues out there. It's showing the positive side of what we've done and the strides we've made in the last 20 years to recognize things, provide assistance to the firefighters and their families and their children, whoever may be involved. And so that's the positive side of, of helping these people in this industry. Like I think you just said earlier for something, recognition is the, is the first thing.
1: Well, and, so, and, and as you, you mentioned before, like we ended up in Oregon talking with Ann mm, Kellogg, yeah, you know, was, who runs this incredible equine therapy ranch, mm-hmm. you know, not just equine, but, you know, she has cows, she has all sorts of, but that, the therapies that they bring so unique, so unusual, and that is something that uh-huh. I think is such a f- at the forefront of helping the, the paramedics and helping first responders be able to deal with that. Uh-huh. And to be able to utilize and have that experience. And and I've I've seen so many films on, you know, equestrian therapy and working through that, but I've never seen anything quite like it Uh. because it was so unusual because it's not about riding the horse, which it usually is, but it's really about allowing the horse to be in that environment and letting that horse then almost play out what it is you're feeling, which is really fascinating to experience. (laughs) And I got a chance to experience it. I got a chance to be in that environment where I was in the middle of a ring and that, and I went off Mm -hmm. to the side and that horse came up and looked me in the eye. It was such an incredible experience. And until you go through it and we saw a number of men, actually, you guys weren't with me on that Mm -hmm. trip. I was there by myself, but to see a number of people go through that process. And the fascinating thing about, you know, horses is that they have such a connection a human, a connection, emotional connection, uh, with individuals. And, and they're able to really, mm-hmm. you know, like literally change your central nervous system.
0: Yeah,
1: And, and so you're absolutely right. It's like, those are the things that need to happen because the people who are in this industry are so unique and so special. And one of my favorite quotes and I know you guys have heard me say this a million times. So
0: it's good. Oh, you go ahead,
1: but no, it's by Hemingway and it's the world breaks everyone. But afterwards some are some are stronger in the broken places and to me that is the epitome of what these men and women are all about because this is a tough profession and yet and and it has taken its toll and yet they come back and they feel and we heard it over and over they feel stronger they feel more compassionate they feel more compelled they feel driven <laughs> to be there on the worst day for the people who call 911 mm-hmm. and that is incredible mm-hmm. and and it is so inspiring and how many times have they said i would do this profession for free yeah. i wouldn't yeah. do anything else they're mm-hmm. doing something greater than themselves mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. something that really inspires them. Like, they wouldn't do anything else. We, You know, we talked about the the young woman from Columbine. Uh She's like, every time I help somebody, I heal. Uh Uh And that is, that's incredible. You You know, those are special people. So we want to talk about, okay, they're heroes. Uh Like, that's a very, it's a very trivial, you know, it's so easy to say. They truly are. Because this profession is tough, but they're bigger and they're greater than you know, and stronger than many.
2: I mean, these people are truly healthcare professionals, and and that's what we need to give them. They're not technicians. They're not ambulance no. drivers, and and to recognize that most of these people really enjoy what it is that they're doing. Um, many of these te- people may end up being slightly broken, and you know, and get. Fixed and come back and and are better people be because of that. Um, but it it's it's just as you said, Tanya. It, it's a it's an incredible um, honor to be with somebody at their worst possible moment and to be able to make a difference for them. And you know, one of the things that I. I received out of this relationship that I've had with Randy over all of these years, and I think Steve would agree to me. How many times we were with Randy, and somebody has said to Randy, "You know, I got in this business because of you," and the same thing with Kevin. I got in this business because of you, and I will tell you that even me, I, I'm Randy helped to influence me in, in getting involved in this business, and. I think that was what Randy and Kevin wanted to do with this movie is they wanted to inspire the next generation because the current generation doesn't know who, you know, Johnny, Johnny and Roy, Roy are, are yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe they're, they, they are influenced by Johnny and Roy, but they're influenced by Johnny and Roy. Don't take this wrong, Randy, but by their parents or their grandparents that influenced them in getting involved in EMS. And that's what, I, I feel that um, that this movie can be able to do is to honor um, Johnny and Roy, uh, Randy and Kevin in inspiring that next generation of EMS professionals.
3: God, that's my dream. That's a, to, to inspire somebody else to step up and, and, and do and do what they saw for seven years on that show, but continue it. You know, it's 45 plus years old. Right. Let, let it go. Now, now let's look at the future. That's what I want this film to do.
1: Well, and the, and the film probably is is very timely because you have a next generation here that's coming in mm-hmm. as leaders, and really what drives them is a sense of purpose in life. Yep, like they're not getting mm-hmm. in the corporate world yep. and they're not yep. working towards that watch. Mm-hmm. They want to have meaning and a purpose of life, right. and that is Purposeful what. Game. And that's what we will show in this film because mm-hmm. we will show the tough parts. But you know what? And not everybody's for this industry, mm-hmm. but those that are. People mm-hmm. that want mm-hmm. that sense of purpose are and a mission driven right. and want to do something for humanity.
2: Yeah. Well, and bring them in for the right it. reasons. For the you know, reasons. That no. It's not it's not a hero worshiping no. you know, no. job. No, no. There, no. You, you, you know, more people live despite you than because of you in this in this industry that and I try show, to tell people. We show that. Yeah. yeah. and And I think that yeah. what we don't need to do is we don't need to spend a lot of time and energy into somebody and then they leave the business. You know, because it's not what they expected it to be able to be. Exactly. And that's that's the other thing that this film is going to be able to do. And and to inspire other – you know, it's amazing how many people in that emergency medical services world, nurses and physicians that really also don't have any idea – what EMS does, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the other thing that we have as a goal in this, mm-hmm. is to be able to let sure. not only the lay people, not to inspire a new workforce, but to let people understand that are outside of our world what it is that it's really
0: like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm sure like the the nurses can. Can relate to this because, again, you have a lot more losses than you do wins, Mm -hmm. but the wins mean so much more. It's how do you compartmentalize and keep those losses from piling up and, as we say, tipping you over or burning you out was a, a term used forever. But if you can balance that in your life and take those wins and go positive off those wins and 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 take those out there and understand the ripple effect you can have in people's lives based upon a save here and there we've how many have we interviewed where we talked about the that one win they had and they give some sad stories but they give some incredible stories and
1: that's what drives them
0: yeah the, of what, what what brings them back how it felt to go back like um, Randy we've talked about the gentleman that you that you had in in New York and they do the uh, annually they do a, a, a dinner mm. where they bring back the people that they've saved through the year. This is the most meaningful thing that anybody in this job can do is to have someone come into your work area and say, I, I don't know if you remember me, but you know, five years ago, I was the little guy at the bottom of the pool you pulled off. You might, might remember that. I, I've seen those stories. I mean, that one there is the ones that really inspires people to keep going, to understand, like you said, it has nothing to do with being a, being a hero. You have a job to do. You're trained. You have tools to do, and you have responsibility. But if you can... Take those losses and understand and learn from them. Don't let them eat you up, but take those wins to inspire you. That's where I think we get that next generation to come in because they're looking for something like that. There's so many people out there with compassion that want to find a job to do. We've learned, you probably met more than I have, actually, that have left whole different careers, like we just saw, to jump into this for Jake. Our
1: crew guy, you know, Uh, the the guy's been on major motion pictures. Like, he has been, we were so fortunate to have him. And he's like, hey, after seeing school. this, I yeah, went yeah. to film schools, yeah. you know, been on Just, a, you know, huge films. And he left because he wanted to make a difference in the yep, world. Yeah. And he saw 30, the real stuff.
0: Yeah, 30 years old, and he's starting yep. from the ground up, and he couldn't be any happier. Right. And, you know, back to, uh, uh, um,
3: I, I once asked my paramedic friend from New York, I said, you know, how, how do you deal with the losses that you have to endure, that you mm-hmm. have to experience and he stopped for a moment he looked up and he went i just think about the winds about Mm -hmm. saving somebody's life that probably wouldn't be alive if him if he weren't there so he doesn't dwell on on the other now not everybody can do that that's that's
0: Like, like a professional athlete, your team's going to lose probably more than it wins, but you're going to remember the wins. Yeah, gonna, you win you can take something away from the losses. Like, you can't let them, you know. But again, there are times when some things are tougher than others and it hits you at a different time of your life or whatever it may be. The best thing we're doing now is we're recognizing how to reach out to these people and help them along the way. Because right. with no help, it, it, we were doing a disservice to all the, to all of right. our employees and, and all of our partners and all of our friends. And so I, I'm excited about this time of our career because of how we are working towards helping those people so that they can continue in this job and have those wins and take those back and inspire the next generation. So. And
1: we've heard that in every single city is that that yeah. is number one priority for them is for them mm-hmm. to keep everybody healthy and keep and keep all of those issues and their experiences and yep. really keep it, the it,
0: workforce from
1: yeah, absolutely from, from
0: exactly. leaving and inspire more
1: well you know what first of all i have to say you know it's always we could just talk forever and i have to say as you said you feel blessed i feel blessed to be part of this team mm-hmm. to be doing this you know to be brought in to have this experience and to be able to share
3: this and, and if I'm i thrilled. could just add this Uh, My whole goal in the very beginning, and it's not been an easy goal for me, was to put together the best team I knew how and then get the hell out of the way. And you guys have just picked it
0: up. And they weren't available. So back sure yeah. we, came, we filled yeah, in. Yes. <laughs> Steve and I jumped in. And, and so sorry those people <laughs> had those real jobs.
3: jobs. And you guys have more than made it a reality. Yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah.
0: Making,
3: you're making me look good. Making yeah. me and Kevin look
0: yeah. good. Remember <laughs> next time, don't answer any calls. Anybody from <laughs> <Yeah. Mantis. laughs> Randy Mantouf. Randy's, Randy's who? calling. Who? I've never heard of him. You know, block there is, there is yeah. a
1: block on yeah. your calls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I want to thank you. No.
1: All right. Well, we're going to stay tuned. We're excited. You know, we're going to share our next podcast. But next time, we're going to bring Kevin back. So Kevin Tyson going to come back. We're going to continue the conversation Good. about Into the Unknown. And we're excited to have you join us on this journey.
0: Viva la fiesta! <laughs>